Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Lomax, and what a pleasure it is to be with you today as we explore with Daniel Homeland how we can retire using the leverage of real estate during a recession. Daniel is a managing partner of Good Samaritan Capital, LLC, a private real estate investment firm that specializes in multifamily acquisitions. He also runs the Real Estate Investment Club at Intel, Good Samaritan Capital, and he has closed on $168 million of assets, which include 259,000 units in property across the states. Well, Daniel, share with us a memorable experience from your formative years that helped you to be who you are today. Sure. Uh, really, really quickly, though, I want to correct. I, I do not have 250,000 <laughs> units. I have 2,100 units. 2,100 units, yes. Yeah. If I could only read, yes. All right. But it's a pleasure to be here with you, Dr. Lomax. And thank you for having me on. Like you said, my name is Daniel Homlin. In my formative years, I thought about this and there are personal stories and then there are stories that kind of shape who you are financially. And so I chose the latter, but it's a very personal story to me also because it happened when, well, in between my years of zero to 10, I used to go out to my grandma and grandpa's house. They owned a farm out in Missouri and we'd go out there each summer and just spend time on the farm. And my grandpa, actually his entire life, he worked for a tractor repair company and he repaired tractors and that's what he did. And he worked his entire life until age 55 or 56, I think. And he retired. And it was interesting at that point, my grandma, who was really the financial wizard between the two of them said, Hey, let's go buy this apartment complex with your brother and we'll fix it up. And that'll be our retirement. And so they did that. They partnered with his brother and bought this apartment complex. And this was before I was born. And so it was interesting to me that when I was 10, he and my grandmother had passed away. And my parents were talking around the table about the fact that they couldn't afford to pay the taxes, the inheritance taxes on the building. And so they had to sell the building. And so as a 10-year-old, I got to hear all these conversations going on. And I actually listened in when they were on the phone and they were going back and forth with lawyers and trying to figure out how they were going to sell this place. And it really made an impression on me young at that age. And I think it was maybe a couple of years later, I realized that my grandpa worked his entire life as a tractor repair person. And when he retired, it was only once he retired and bought real estate that he had something to hand down to the next generation. And so that stuck with me. And my mother is also a real estate enthusiast. And so I had a lot of that growing up. And I started right out of the gate, out of college, buying single family homes when I was around 21 to 22 years old. And that experience of just knowing that my grandpa could work his entire life, not necessarily have anything to hand down to the next generation. And then once he's retired, buying real estate is what made him his fortune. Quite a lesson there. And fortunately, you learned it at a very early age and changed the trajectory of your life considerably, I'm sure. Well, Daniel, we've had, as you say, we've had 12 years of uninterrupted growth in real estate and well in the economy as, as a whole, essentially. But there are many indicators, including inflation, supply chain, labor market problems, 
that indicate that the economy may not be as strong as what some of the indicators may indicate. So what do you mean when you talk about what is flight to quality? Sure. So flight to quality investments are really the theme of this year in Good Samaritan Capital and our investment firm. And it makes me step back to a moment where I was running the real estate club at the company that I work at. And one of the people there was talking about how inflation looks like it's heading up. And this was back in 2020, I believe. And, you know, I had to comment to him. So which is actually more at risk, the Fed's inflation or the Fed's reputation for being able to control inflation? And I think over the last two years, that's been very quickly answered. A lot of people are very concerned about this right now. We have, you know, according to some estimates, around 8% inflation, according to others, double-digit inflation. And we are seeing, you know, more bumps in the economic road, shall we say, than in recent memory. And so flight to quality, two things that were really impressed upon me during the pandemic. I started Good Samaritan Capital actually back in 2018. And so we were busy in acquisition mode all through the pandemic. And one of the interesting things that happened was that as uncertainty crept into the market, a lot of people you know, held onto their money. They stopped trading. They stopped buying stocks. They, they brought a little more capital in closer to themselves. But while you oftentimes think of prices as going up and down, the lesson really hit home that prices are actually flows of capital. And when capital leaves one area of the market, it goes into another. And so while we did see some hesitancy within the commercial real estate market, we actually found that a lot of people that were in stocks in other types of assets pulled money out of those assets and put them into more stable assets. So one of the lessons that I took away there is that multifamily properties and property, you know, real estate in general actually appreciated during an economically uncertain time. And you can see the same thing actually right now with the dollar. The dollar, you know, despite the supply chain issues, the labor issues, the uncertainty, people talking that we're going into a recession or even a depression, the dollar is actually going up in value right now. Why is that? Why would people buy more dollars? Well, the reason is, is because other areas of the world have more uncertainty. And so there's assets being pulled out of those areas and fed into the dollar, even though the dollar has more uncertainty than it has in the past. So really, the question that I want to pose to your audience is, if there is an economic recession, how do you protect your livelihood? How do you protect your purchasing power? How do you protect your assets? How do you protect your net worth? And part of that answer is realizing that, in my opinion, almost our entire economy is in a bubble, but some areas of that bubble will burst faster than others. Some areas will be more protected. There's going to be inflows and outflows of cash from particular areas to other areas. And so when I say a flight to quality asset, what I'm getting at is that this is going to be an asset that is has longer term debt, that has more staying power, and is less volatile and is supported by demographic trends, economic trends, job trends. So some assets out there are going to diminish very quickly. Some will have the money that is pulled out of those put into them. And it's really the job of a real estate firm or any financial management firm to identify those assets and make sure that their investors are able to participate in them. Okay. So could you go over that list one more time? Which list? The uh, inflation? The list, the long-term debt and then... Oh, sure, sure. 
So when we're talking about a flight to quality asset, in particularly in real estate, one of the things that I always mention to when I'm on an investor call is that when you invest in commodities or stocks or things that are priced in a market, you need to take account of how those things are evaluated and how quickly they fluctuate. And so one of the reasons why I like real estate is that it's not bought and sold or commercial real estate, rather. It's not bought or sold on normal consumer sentiment. Commercial real estate is actually valued based on the amount of income that it produces. And it can take a long time to actually figure out what that is. And so there's a built-in stability to real estate because it's not bought and sold on a centralized market. Stocks can go up and down. You can have, you know, Netflix can go down 40% in one year, but it's, it's highly unlikely that, not impossible, but it's unlikely that a lot of real estate assets are going to do that because there's just less volatility in the system. So risk management and volatility are the two areas that I think are most important, particularly if you're looking to build a retirement or something that you can forecast into the future. You know, for instance, my stocks, I cannot forecast what they're going to be in five years. You can look at the business plan of the stock and evaluate, do I think this is a good business plan? And that's exactly the same thing that you should be doing with real estate. You should be, before you buy a piece of real estate, it needs to have a business plan, a five-year projection, a cash flow projection that you think that you can reasonably execute on. And so, you know, for me in my retirement, I would rather have something that I can create a five-year cash flow projection around rather than something that's driven by market sentiments. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steedtalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. Yeah, I am definitely with you there. Well, you speak of five pillars of risk in real estate investment. Let's just go over each one of those one by one. Sure. So the five pillars of real estate risk investment, or the five pillars of risk in real estate investment, rather, is first of all, the managers, the market, the business plan of the real estate, the regulators in the area, and the property itself. And when I'm looking at a property, I usually go through the mental exercise of evaluating each one of these to see how tightly can I control or understand the risk in this area. So the first and largest risk is, of course, the people that are actually operating the property, the managers. So if you are a single family home purchaser and you like to go out and buy rental houses and run them yourselves, you are your own biggest risk. And if you perform well, you know, your property can turn a profit even if the market goes down or even if there are other you know, risks that are associated, such as you know, maybe the regulatory environments. People make money in all sorts of environments. And so really, it's the person who purchases and operates the building who is the, the largest risk to the investment. And for people that are passive investors, of course, they're looking towards professionals who have purchased large portfolios or have shown a track record of some sort. 
And so then the job of the passive investor is, do I trust this person to know what they're doing? And can they operate with integrity, with honesty, transparency, and do they show they know what they're doing? So the managers, I would say, is number one there. And there's a lot of different ways to evaluate those. But really, the most important way is just to look at their track record. What have they done before? And it is actually unfortunate. I think in commercial real estate, sometimes it's very hard to get a person's track record. You know, a lot of people say, go look at the track record, and then you go and ask an operator. And a lot of times it doesn't happen. So that is something to watch out for and be concerned about. But people that have operated multiple properties and had successful exits are really the type of people that you're looking for. And there are different philosophies of how to operate. Some people are very centralized in one location. You know, for instance, in the Phoenix market, there are several large operators there that own 30, 40, 50 apartment complexes. They know that area really well. The same in any metro market. And then there are other types of investors who like to go to different areas and establish a team of partners in each of those areas and balance their risk a little more geographically. And so they'll invest in multiple areas and not necessarily specialize in one. And these people, I'm one of those people. We have properties in nine different states currently, mostly in the Southwest and Southeast and the Midwest. And so what I'm looking for is I'm looking for one of those operators who's already established and already knows an area really well and is looking for outside partners. So those are two philosophies behind management. And you have to look at them a little differently when you're evaluating them. So that's risk number one. Risk number two, the market. So the market right now is becoming a greater and greater risk. We've had an incredible run-up since the Great Recession of 2008. And you know, if you were buying properties back in the in 2010 and 2011, congratulations, you know, you've doubled, tripled your money. And the market has continued to go up at a very fast rate. In fact, this is one of the longest bull markets we've seen in real estate. And so everybody's, you know, the question on everybody's mind is when is it going to end? And when I started my business in 2018, people at the time were saying the market's going to turn the next year. And it very well could have. We don't know when the market's going to turn down, but eventually it will. So how do you position yourself and get into a market that's high, but position yourself with risk-adjusted and inflation-hedged assets? And so I'm going to propose a couple of things. And some of these things are well-known. You know, For instance, you invest where demographics are favorable. If the population's increasing, there's going to be more increase on rents and prices are going to go up. If the job economy is very diverse, that's a great place to work. I actually once uh, evaluated a property in Southwest Memphis, and I looked at the numbers. The numbers on the property were, were really good. It was going to give a great cash flow. It had a great return. It was sitting in an area that was not heavily regulated. And then when we started digging on the tenants, we found out that all it was, I think it was a hundred and it was about 120 unit apartment, but all the tenants were employed at a casino that was just down the road. <laughs> so all it would take is, you know, the regulatory environment changing, shutting down a casino or changing casino regulations, and suddenly the investment evaporates. So in that case, that was actually probably more of a regulatory risk, but it was also a market risk because there was no job diversity within your tenant base. Another thing to look at, of course, is crime. I would say also, and I think crime is self-evident, you know, don't buy in, in areas where crime is going to drastically affect the value of your property. 
But I would also say that a lot of people, because of market pressures and rising prices in the main cities, have been going out to secondary and tertiary markets. They're rising in prices now as well. But in an economic downturn, they're also going to go down faster. They will drop in value faster. And that may also be true in high crime areas, like perhaps in an inner city. So one of the strategies that we're using at Good Samaritan Capital is we're partnering with people that know an area really well. And we tend to be investing in the city, but towards the suburb areas of the city. So just on the outskirts of the city in well-developed, well-proven areas, in areas where there's lots of job and demand growth, but not too far out in secondary and tertiary markets, because while they may be low and they may present buying opportunities, they're also going to be, that's volatility, right? They're low because they have not caught up to where the inner city prices are, but they're also going to drop faster than the city prices are. So we've been looking at basically suburbs around major metropolitan areas, and that's the market. I bet you could ask me if you want some questions about the market. There's a lot of areas we could go there, or I could just go on to point number three. (laughs) Well, for the sake of time, let's go on to business plan. Okay. All right. So business plan, Whenever you are evaluating a property, you're usually going to find an investor presentation or webinar, and they need to have a good reason why they're buying the property. And in my opinion, just being able to cash flow a property is not a good reason because the market can go up, the market could go down. If you're just cash flowing or buying a turnkey property, then you're buying where the majority of the value has been added into the property. So a lot of people have heard of value add business plans. That's the business plan where somebody has run down the property. It has deferred maintenance. It has problems with the management, whatever it happens to be. The income is not where it should be on the property. And so you go in and buy a, you know, a C class property in a B class area. And then you raise it up by improving and fixing it. So really where you're going to find your investor return is in the ability to buy low and make your money on the front end. So the business plan in a commercial property almost always simply involves increasing the income and decreasing the expenses. So in an apartment complex, for instance, you want to look for a apartment complex where the rents are below market, maybe $100 or $200, maybe more below market. I had a friend up in Kansas City in Leavenworth, Kansas, who found this fabulous property. It was actually owned by a church and they kept it in really good repair, but they hadn't raised the rent since the 1970s. So when you see situations like that, they were actually charging around 375 to 400 where the current market rent was 1200. And so even moving it up slightly there gave them a great return and made their investors really happy. Sure. Wow. Those are the deals we're all looking for. Yeah. In the business plan too, you really have to evaluate the debt. So the debt component is 75% usually, or maybe 70%, depending on how much debt you take out of the total capital that's used to purchase the building. And so you need to look if they have a value add plan, oftentimes they'll take out what's called bridge loans that will span three to five years where they can repair the property. Bridge loans are slightly higher. Well, they are higher interest rates, five, six, you know, whereas in the recent past, interest rates have been two, three. Now that interest rates are moving up though, bridge loans are becoming more risky. And so short-term debt is becoming a greater unknown simply because interest rates are going up. And so it's good to look for properties that have longer-term debt, debt that can ride out an economic downturn. 
So I also highly encourage people to look at the debt and see what the terms are. Oftentimes in commercial lending, there are also prepayment penalties and loans can be assumable or not assumable. Since we're coming out of a low interest rate environment, loans that are assumable right now are going to be in very popular demand when interest rates go up. When interest rates are 5 or 6% and you have an assumable loan at you know 3%, that makes it very attractive for a person to come in and buy the property at a good price. Of course, there's going to be, of course, that acquisition, I mean, that assumption fee is going to be fairly enormous too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, you have to have your managers sit down with a spreadsheet and understand whether it's worth buying or not. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's move into regulation real quickly. Sure. So with regulation, people have a variety of opinions here. And I think that, you know, your opinion on regulators really depends on what you're comfortable with. So the way I tend to look at this is I like lower regulatory environments because when I'm purchasing a property and when I'm giving an investor presentation, I like to know exactly how much risk I have here. If I have a regulatory environment, if I'm buying a building and my plan is to hold it for five years, it is a risk if the regulations change, if the game changes partway through the investment, it's a very big risk. You know, if suddenly, you know, all it takes is rent control to be implemented or some other regulation that is brought in and suddenly the entire cash flow projection could be put in jeopardy. So for me, investing in low regulatory environments is really practical because it just means that I'm going to have more assurance, not total assurance, but at least more assurance that the game is not going to change halfway through the investment. And so I tend to invest in those areas. Some people that I know do really well in high regulatory environments. I live in Portland, Oregon, and it's a high regulatory environment. But I have some friends who specialize in buying older houses from the 40s that are zoned for small multifamily. They'll they'll buy an older house, they'll remove the older house, and they'll put up a 12 flex in this place. They do really well. They do that in downtown Portland, and they, they do really well doing that. So there are definitely ways to make money in any sort of regulatory environment. It's simply how comfortable are you with the risk? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, regulatory issues are extremely important. And I guess I would just say you really need to know if you're in a high regulatory environment, you really need to know the regulations and you need to know that environment. But I have talked with many people who are investing in Southern California and have been doing it for decades and decades, but they know those regulatory issues backwards and forwards because they could be killed in Southern California if they didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Well, let's move on to the property. Sure. So the property itself is, of course, what everybody tends to maybe fixate on the most. When you have a maybe a, a more developed investor mindset, I see a lot of new investors look at properties and they want properties that they can show to their family or show to their friends and say, look how beautiful this property is. And as a person who works with investors, I know it's actually it's actually easier to bring in investment money for a property that looks great. But it's not always the looks of the property that are, of course, the most important for a deal. Buying a property that's kind of run down or is ill-managed actually presents more opportunity to make the property better. So when you're looking at the property, a multifamily property, for instance, you want to, of course, go in on your due diligence days with your inspectors and walk through every single room, 
note every single problem, find out from the HVAC inspector, the plumbing inspector, the electrical inspector, the grounds inspectors, all of those people, what your current condition is. And you have to know it really well. And then you have to develop a renovation plan around it, one that'll fit the budget and one that the your lender, the bank, will agree with you with. When you're buying a property, a commercial property, when you close on it, the people that purchase the property don't actually get to keep the renovation budget and use it as they will. The bank actually takes that renovation budget into escrow. And so the people that buy the property pay you know, from the funds that they've raised in order to do the renovations, and then they request reimbursement from the bank. So having a really tight relationship and helping your bank understand what the property is like is key here as well. And so, you know, knowing your business plan and knowing your property go hand in hand. They're almost the same risk. But yeah, that's what I have to say about it. Yeah, I would think it would be somewhat difficult to totally and completely separate the property from the business plan because they definitely do go hand in hand. Well, Daniel, wonderful advice and excellent, excellent information. Tell our viewers and listeners how they can get in touch with you. Oh, sure. You can find me at, uh, you can email me at daniel at goodsamaritancapital.com. Or you can go to my webpage. We have an investors club for people that are looking for flight to quality assets. I also help other people. I run a mastermind to teach other people to run their own real estate investment clubs. So if you're interested in that, feel free to reach out to me, daniel at goodsamaritancapital.com. Well, wonderful. Well, Daniel, it has been a pleasure having you and very enlightening conversation. I truly appreciate that. And enlightened investors, what a delight to have been with you today. I look forward to being with you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steed Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at steedtalker.com.